0: Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues, including, but not limited to, mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career, from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top-of-mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started.
1: I am Amy Rojic, Director of Video Center for Governance, and I'm so happy to have the chance to sit down with Lara Lee today to discuss how boards can reframe ESG by taking a strategic, holistic approach that moves beyond the obligations of disclosure and mitigation toward opportunities of innovation and enhanced reputation. Lara is a seasoned independent director, a Fortune 50 officer, chief executive, and COO with expertise in retail, lifestyle, and consumer brands, and extensive international experience across both Asia and Europe. She brings to the boardroom over 30 years, pioneering new territory and leading transformation through channel, market, and digital disruptions, and a deep understanding of non-traditional and social marketing. Lara is a published author and a recognized expert on innovation, growth leadership, and strategic marketing. She holds a bachelor's degree in Chinese language from Brown University, a master's in international studies from the University of Pennsylvania, and an MBA from the Wharton School. With diverse board experience across industries, ownership structures, and company life stages, Lara currently serves on the boards of Organically Grown Company and The Sil. Lara, welcome to BDO in the boardroom. I'm so happy to have you here with me today. Thank you, Amy. It's such a pleasure to be with you here. Well, you have uh, quite a resume and quite um, an education, so you've had a really diverse career. How did you end up in the boardroom?
2: Yeah, thanks. It's been it's been fun. So, a big theme in my life and career has been sort of adventure, learning, and growth. You know, whether that was studying Chinese back when everyone thought Japan was going to conquer the business world to Spending 15 years at Harley Davidson, growing the international business and creating profitable experiences that attracted new customers, or leaving, leading business transformations uh, from consumer experiences to digital-first services or professional consulting in a global marketplace. Um, you know, so I, what I found is that diverse background as an operator, a p owner, a strategist, a marketer, an innovator really brings a different kind of perspective to the boardroom, and often it helps us look at topics in a different way and identify new opportunities and challenges. So in some sense, I feel like my background has really prepared me well to be a board contributor, and I really enjoy working as a team to support mission-aligned businesses and their executive teams in being successful.
1: Well, I think all noble pursuits on your end, and I'm sure your experiences and a broad range of very well-known brand name companies um, have been an absolute attribute to the boardroom. So I guess the reason we're here today is to talk about ESG. So, so maybe explain a little bit of what's made you so interested in environmental, social and governance ESG topics.
2: Sure. It's, and it also starts pretty aspirationally. So I actually went into business because I wanted to change the world. You know, I decided early on that global business was the biggest, most impactful force um, for progress in the world. And I studied Chinese because I believed that one day China would be a huge global economic power. And that actually turned out to be a pretty good call. Um, But I should be clear up front, you know, I'm not an ESG expert, but what I have spent my career focused on is the impact that ESG efforts are ultimately intended to achieve. So sustainable growth and long-term value creation that's beneficial for all the stakeholders is really what it's all about. ESG is a means to an end. It's a way to look at your business and evaluate whether you are actually set up for sustainable growth and whether you are maximizing your value creation for all the stakeholders over the long term. So what's interesting uh, to me, if you look at how really significant Changes happen within large systems, whether it's big companies, communities, societies. It's when the interests of multiple parties align in pursuit of a larger objective. And when business looks beyond its short-term interest to consider its bigger impact on society, that's how business changes the world. Well, that's actually where ESG came from in the first place. So in the 80s and 90s, you already had an emerging focus on things like sustainable development or corporate social responsibility, responsible investing, the triple bottom line, but those were not really mainstream ideas. And then in 1999, uh, the then UN Secretary General Kofi Annan went to the World Economic Forum in Davos and introduced this idea of a global compact of shared values and principles to put what he called a human face on the global market and advance responsible corporate citizenship. That UN Global Compact was adopted in 2000. Over the next five years, businesses and financial institutions kind of struggled with how do we, you know, how do we implement that, especially into the capital markets? And they produced a report in 2005 called Who Cares Wins? That was endorsed by 20 financial institutions from nine countries. And it made the case that embedding environmental social and governance factors ESG embedding those into capital markets is good for business and it leads to more sustainable markets and better outcomes for societies that then led to the launch of the principles for responsible investment at the New York Stock Exchange in 2006 and ever since you know companies and investors have really been working to figure out how to implement ESG how to demonstrate that it creates Uh, value and how to uh, assess and track that value. So it really started out, ESG started out with a 360-degree view, considering all stakeholders' interests and focusing on both risks and opportunities. And there was a very clear case made early on in that report, Who Cares Wins, that um, integrating ESG throughout the total business was the way to create shareholder value. And yet you know, over the subsequent years, a lot of what's happened is a drift into an overfocus on risk and a a sort of fragmentary approach to ESG.
1: Right. And I guess that brings up our kind of next question on that, just given what you just said, is really what has been the challenges to companies in trying to successfully embrace ESG?
2: You know, I think there's a whole range of challenges that, that span from the tactical to the strategic. So for some, it's Lack of resources, especially from smaller, uh, for smaller or for private companies. Um, For some, it's not knowing where to start. You know, ESG can feel like a very overwhelming topic because the issues are so broad and the boundaries aren't really clear. There, you know, now there are quite a few different standards and scorecards. There are competing stakeholder voices and demands. There's, sometimes not knowing how to value ESG efforts and initiatives, how to draw the line between doing the right thing and delivering business value or seeing those as um, opposed, you know, objectives, or sometimes a sense of not getting credit uh, for, especially from the investor community. There's also the sense, um, particularly down in the organization, there can be resistance if ESG starts to feel like a burden or a distraction, you know, it's one more task on the plate, it's one more data request. We don't know where it goes or how it adds benefit. And I think so, so those are some of the more common challenges. And they, you know, if we think about it thematically, uh, there's a challenge of a sort of fragmented approach versus a holistic approach. Um, there is a challenge of, of approaching it sort of as a checklist and a checkbox versus a framework for looking at how to improve the total business. There is a, um, Uh, There's the difference between complying with standards versus operating from principles. Principles allow flexibility and adaptation, whereas standards are rigid and tend to create boxes that um, can constrain people's creativity. And then there's this sort of, you know, um, tension between risk and opportunity or, or focus on risk versus focus on resilience. And then I would say, you know, a final challenge of the board that relates to this issue of the risk is the role of the board in ESG oversight. And, um, you know, frequently board members don't have a great deal of experience, let alone expertise in the area of ESG. And that can sometimes make it challenging for the board to align on an appropriate approach to ESG oversight. And then sometimes for lack of a different approach, the board itself can end up emphasizing risk and disclosure, um, as opposed to a more balanced approach that looks at both the risks and the opportunities.
1: Now, I think that's, that's a great point, that last point. And I think many of the companies that we speak to often are in that boat, um, particularly in the U.S., where perhaps ESG is a bit further behind the rest of, of the world where companies are really, particularly the smaller uh, cap companies that we often see is that where they're struggling to really define what is the board's role, who should have the experience, how vested or how steeped in this is the management team and really who within the organization is driving this. So I, I agree with all your points. So I guess sticking from the board's perspective, where are you now seeing i guess more progress in how companies and particularly corporate directors may be recognizing the value proposition posed by ESG and are looking as you indicated earlier to embed that within the organizational strategy.
2: Yeah, so I I think the most effective approach is and you know in a way it's the same for the board and for management it's just a matter of you know the altitude right but the most effective approach is I would characterize as being strategic, holistic, and human. And I want to talk about each one of those. So, to me, strategic is about being focused in your efforts. Um, because ESG is such a broad topic, it's easy to feel that a comprehensive approach is what's needed, right? We're going to cover all the bases and check all the boxes. And especially today when There are a number of different frameworks and scorecards that are out there, and they are purposefully comprehensive in nature because their goal is to cover every base for every company and every industry. But just because that's their goal doesn't mean that that's the best way for a a company to operate, right? For, For a company, a specific company and a specific board, trying to cover all those bases is actually what leads to distraction. And so focus comes from aligning the ESG efforts with the company's specific business model, specific customers and stakeholders and their specific interests, and the company's specific strategic imperatives. And um, a best practice for how to do that is to prioritize um, areas of ESG focus based on, on materiality and strategic importance. And so, materiality is, is it likely to have a significant business impact? And in, in the ideal case, materiality is looked at not only from a financial point of view, but also by incorporating the views of stakeholders. So, what do your stakeholders consider to be material? Uh, I've, I'm working uh, with a company now that's done a, a really fantastic job of um, what I would call comprehensive yet focused. ESG reporting, where they did a very deep dive into you know, who are all our stakeholders? What do they care about? Let's get their voices in the mix. Let's look across our entire business. What are all the areas where we have ESG impacts currently or potentially? But then let's really narrow the focus into a handful of items that are guided by the combination of materiality and strategy. And we're going to start by focusing on those, reporting on those, tracking on those. And it actually, it holds together very nicely because they did the work. You know, it's it, like it takes work to do that as opposed to just sort of apply an existing framework. Um, but but I think it it was it's it has served them well. Something interesting that could happen if you do that work is that. Uh, it might cause you to question whether your current strategy is up to the task, right? Um, it's, an, it's an interesting uh, stress test on your strategy. Can it provide good guidance as to where we should focus our ESG efforts? Um, and in that case, I would say there uh, it's useful to consider um, three sort of types of ESG factors that uh, we could... We could bounce up against our strategy as a stress test. So, so there's sort of core factors, things that are core to our business. Like if we're a manufacturer, we have an environmental footprint. And if until we you know, stop manufacturing, that's going to probably be a significant core ESG factor for us. There are current factors, what I would call topical things. So right now that might be, you know, what's our social impact in the communities where we operate and what's our approach to diversity and, and inclusion and what's the intersection of those. Two things. Um, And then there are what I would call cusp factors. So, um, things that are just starting to emerge. One that I think is really interesting is um, the sort of mainstreaming of a willingness to consider mental health and wellness um, in the context of overall employee wellness. And that's really been brought to the fore by the current uh, COVID situation and the extensive working from home and how that's impacted, um, in many cases, people's mental health and wellness. So that's that's strategic. So we've got strategic, holistic, and human. Does that is that making sense to
1: you so far? I'm with you. I, I, I love the way you're describing this. I think it's okay. <laughs> a, a very concise way and an easy to understand for those that are maybe just kind of exploring this, that have been challenged by... Their, you know, companies, been challenged by their stakeholders, to your point earlier, to really get a good grasp on what this means and how to approach it. So please continue, I'm fascinated. <laughs> Thanks,
2: all right, so so that's strategic. The, the next dimension to um, ESG done well is holistic. And a holistic approach is one that really thinks about ESG as a lens to identify both risks and opportunities with a focus on long-term value creation and sustainable health of the business, um, often that requires re-examining how value creation is assessed, right? if we're If we're trying to think about long-term value creation, well, how do we assess long-term value creation? Um, and, and in fact, some companies are are taking a fresh look at the triple bottom line as an approach to evaluating initiatives in terms of their long-term uh, value creation and impact for all the stakeholders. And that, that's sort of like an oldie but goodie approach. McKinsey recently published a paper on, on five ways that ESG links to value creation, and that's a nice, easy read. So there are out, there are resources out there to think about value creation. But to me, the point is we're looking at both risks and opportunities. We're thinking about long-term value creation and sustainable health, creating a resilient business. And we're using ESG as a way to think about improving the entire business across the entire value chain out into our stakeholder relationships in many cases and across our entire product or service life cycle. And, And then most importantly, a holistic approach really sees ESG as a catalyst for fresh thinking and as a driver of innovation, whether that's innovating products to improve their performance while taking out cost and reducing environmental impact as Nike and others have done, or whether that's innovating business models and, and governance structure, as in the case of Organically Grown Company, which I think is a, a fantastic uh, example, full disclosure, I'm on the board for, of Organically Grown, but you know, it's a company that was um, that founded with a mission in mind, or uh, Organically Grown, or OGC as we'll call it um, for convenience, is a distributor of organic produce. Um, 40-year-old company, founded with a mission and a purpose um, and went through a few different ownership structures and then um, found itself in a a situation which is not unusual for many mission-driven companies where, um, you know, how do we scale and create liquidity for our founders and and our employee owners It had been in ESOP without selling or going public and um, raising that strategic question led to a pretty significant innovation in ownership structure and governance model, where the company created a perpetual purpose trust, um, used some social financing to uh, buy out the existing owners and essentially sell itself to the trust, uh, raised a, a series A, um, to provide some, some capital to assist in that process, and, um, and now has a very innovative governance structure where the Perpetual Purpose Trust is the shareholder of the company and is charged with stewarding the mission in perpetuity. Um, but that innovation and governance structure also led to um, the requirement to really think hard about how all the different investor types and stakeholders who were invested in, in that um, situation, um, would benefit. And so there is an innovative approach to benefits sharing uh, on an annual basis and over the long term. And that innovation, the innovation in the ownership structure and the innovation in how do you sort of um, deliver benefits to all the stakeholders, then led to a new line of business. So Alternative Ownership Advisors is a business that helps other companies do what what Organically Grown just did.
1: Interesting.
2: Interesting. I, I don't think I knew. That. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I just use it as an example to say that, you know, sometimes the E, the S and the G can become very confusing. And the G in some cases is the most confusing. So there's environmental impacts, positive or negative. There's social impacts, positive or negative. And then there's governance. And, you know, the OGC example shows that it's possible to use an ESG lens or ESG thinking to innovate across all three of those, including in the governance space.
1: All right. Well, I, I appreciate that. So so we've got your, your useful in considering ESG factors to stress test and then how you go about doing that. Throughout the entire organization, so one one of the things that I constantly hear from everyone that I, I deal with is is ESG can be a big and daunting topic, and it's very overwhelming for many directors. So what's your best advice for boards that may be just getting started with a focus on ESG or even perhaps smaller companies, as you mentioned at the outset that may have limited resources?
2: Sure. well, I, I will um I think i'll I'll come back to that. I want to address the human aspect. Uh, if I can. So we've got the strategic, we've got the holistic, and the human. I thought and, we had. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's fine. So, uh, you know, a, a human approach to ESG is one that recognizes more is possible when you bring others along. And that wins. Mi- a, a, sorry. I'll, a human approach to ESG is one that recognizes more is possible when you bring others along. And that means winning the hearts and minds of people. And um, I think it's important to remember that whether it's employees or investors or shareholders or suppliers, at the end of the day, whether you're B2B or B2C, the, the people making decisions are actually human beings. And what they respond to is stories that are supported by data. And so ESG efforts that are focused on disclosure, but to gather the data, but they fail to tell a more powerful story, really miss the opportunity for Um, making the more lasting systemic changes that set up for long-term success. And, you know, a way to think about it is that disclosure is easy, but business evolution is hard, but business evolution is what gets you resiliency and sustainable success. So really the best practice here is to think about how do you tell uh, powerful ESG stories? And the successful companies do that because they look at everything through a lens of purpose or mission and values. And their ESG efforts are aligned with their purpose and with their mission and with their values. And so every time they, they create a data point and a proof point for ESG, it's also a data point and a proof point for their purpose. So everything feels very cohesive. It lets them tell a very powerful story. And that engages the stakeholders. And it brings all the stakeholders along. And it creates energy and motivation.
1: That makes a lot of sense. All right. So, so let's, let's hit on a few things that we've been kind of mentioning before, and that's ESG can be a really big topic and even seem very overwhelming for many directors. What's your advice for boards that are just getting started with a focus on ESG or smaller companies, as you mentioned previously, that may have limited resources?
2: Yeah, so I, I think there, there are a few key things. Um, one is to figure out a way to focus your efforts. So so pick a standard that's out there. GRI is one that's been used by, you know, a lot of companies, for example, but it's not the only one. Um, Figure out your materiality. So what are the factors that are most material to you? Make sure to engage your stakeholders in that. And then, you know, start from where you are, right? Uh, Pick a few areas of focus. Start with setting a baseline. Um, Do the work to create a solid foundation and don't try to bite off more than you can chew and don't feel like you have to be overly comprehensive. If you're engaging your stakeholders along the way, you're able to um, align with them on the fact that it's better to have a solid foundation than to r- try to run too too fast, too far. Um, secondly, I would say really think about ESG as a lens to look at the total business as opposed to an initiative unto itself. Making it a separate initiative um, runs the risk of making it burdensome to the business, and that's going to sort of, you know, defeat the the purpose. And then look for a way to connect the dots across a set of existing priorities and and do that in a way where you can feel like there's low-hanging fruit that you might be able to pick off. You can accomplish some objectives, you know, that were already on your list, and you can do that in a way that advances ESG. I know Um, You guys just released a board pulse survey, I believe. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was looking at that and it was interesting. So it's sort of employee health and wellness now, diversity next. And then there are some um, points about skill sets that boards are looking for in particular, sort of like tech and digital and strategic planning. Excuse me. And I, you know, I think even for a board and considering what skill sets are next, I mean, it's fine to think about the digital and the tech, but what about the human element and what about ESG as a lens to unite those two things? So an effort, you know, a digital effort is not a standalone effort. It's an effort aimed at creating long term resiliency in the business. And it's aimed at sort of uniting some of our efforts across human capital, technical and digital capabilities and stakeholder needs, for example.
1: No, exactly. It, it, the interesting thing that you brought up about our survey was it, it's from a from a lens of a corporate board member. And we had surveyed about 280 public company directors, and that's available on BDO.com. We've released that this fall of 2020. Um, in the short term, which we defined as 18 to 20, uh, excuse me, 12 to 18 months, the true focus is is what you just cited is is on employee welfare. But right below that, was really looking at building a more diverse board and leadership team as sort of the, the governance, the G, and, and the social aspects, if you will. And then fast forward, you know, hopefully, what I think is wishful thinking on, you know, post-pandemic when perhaps you have your employee welfare a little bit more situated, it, it reversed, but not by much. Um, I think the, the building of a diverse board and leadership team did rise to the top, but you still have a significant percentage, 46 percent. Thing, ensuring employee welfare is still way at the top of that list. So I think your your comments earlier about that shift that we're seeing to kind of look at your, your stakeholders and your employees and that, that wellness attribute, I think was an important one to cite and the data that we provided that certainly backs up your statements earlier. So thank you for mentioning the survey. Sure. So what do you see, I guess, is the current ESG call to action for board members? So I guess, how are you as a director and as an advisor helping the CEOs and the boards that you serve in this regard?
2: Uh, there are a few key things. So, so first is seek to be informed. You're, don't try to become an expert. No one is expecting board members to be experts in ESG. But I do think it's incumbent on board members to educate themselves to understand the evolving ESG landscape, to stay current, um, to understand it beyond a specific company or industry. You know, management needs to do the work for the company, but don't be over reliant on management in forming opinions about over you know ESG oversight, which which is a best practice anyway, right? Boards shouldn't be over reliant on management. And there are some there are some great resources out there. BDO has um, wonderful resources on on your website and you know a lot of ways to think about corporate governance. Um, NACD has good resources, including a a specific section on ESG oversight. So, you know, make use of the resources at hand. Uh, Second is to recognize that ESG is a means to an end. It's a tool, not a strategy. The end goal is to improve value creation over the long term. So it's just like, you know, back in the day, people would say, like, what's your e-comm strategy or what's your digital strategy? Those are tools. They're not strategies. You know, same thing. ESG is a lens. It's not a strategy. Don't let the tail wag the dog. And then third would be, um, the, I think the board has a really important responsibility to make sure that ESG initiatives really take a balanced look at both risks and opportunities. And some of the watchouts for the board would be watch out for overly granular questions that are sort of, you know, flavor of the day or diverse from the company's context or the company's business model, because you know, that can create a skew, right? That can that can create excess work that's not serving a focused approach to ESG. And then I think the, the board needs to really set the tone at the top that this is not all about disclosure and risk mitigation. Those things do matter, but this is really about ESG as a way to think about improving our business and making it resilient and healthy over the long term.
1: So I guess as a closing thought, what would be kind of a key, a key leave behind for our audience today, Lara?
2: You know, I I think we're living in this world, it's fast paced, it's, it's increasingly complex. Um, There are more and more stakeholders constantly raising questions and making demands. And, you know, I think boards need a very focused yet adaptive approach to ESG, a way to fully integrate ESG into their strategic oversight and use it as a catalyst for innovation and for building resiliency, use it as a catalyst for strategic boardroom conversations. And I think this requires the board to remain independently informed, uh, recognize that ESG oversight is a tool for improving long-term value creation, not an end into itself, and ensure that ESG initiatives take a balanced look at both risks and opportunities.
1: You've heard it here, folks. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. I am sure we will have uh, additional conversations in the future to continue to enlighten directors in this area of emerging growth
0: and opportunity. And
1: I really want to thank you for your time today.
0: It's a pleasure, Amy. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to BDO in the Boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash bdo boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit bdo.com slash BDO Knows Governance.